Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Here we are, another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Good Saturday to you, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Howdy! And Todd Roberts, I don't know if he's with us. He's, he's going to be drifting in. He'll be drifting in shortly like here. tumbling tumble in. <laughs> stumble in. <laughs> There was a good stumbling, bar. Stumbling. There was a good bar uh, back in uh, many years ago here in Tucson. Stumble in, yeah, in, yeah. Was, that was on the fourth. Well, mm, I mean, first, wasn't first. It? I think, I yeah. think it was on first. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, bar. They, had, they they played uh, rockabilly and country rock. Country rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had some some of the better bands of that day. Yeah, Chuck Wagon and the Wheels used to yeah. play there. Yeah, that was a good band. They were. I don't remember much about music because that's not my. Forte, but I remember those guys because that was a good place to drink too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Frank and Woody show. My uh, brother-in-law played for them oh. uh, uh, in many bands around <laughs> town. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what uh, are we doing today? Anyway, today Harry? we are doing. I have no clue. This is uh, don't no clue Saturday. Th- this is our version of a Seinfeld program. Uh, oh, don't don't on don't, the radio. Let's not even mention his. Oh radio. come on! I know you don't like the show, but uh, I do. And I tried watching it. It has some funny bits, but to, to watch it uh, continually, mm-hmm. you know, through one whole episode, I that's just, okay. That was I couldn't. Have. And now when they're streaming it like they is, it's enough to make me want to barf. Well, you know, it's kind of like watching Barfield. It's kind of like watching Irish Gringo again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the uninformed, Irish Gringo is a B, maybe a B minus, like maybe it. a C movie. Uh, and uh, it uh, Bunker loved it when we watched it, and I. Hey Harry, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you're right. It is a C movie. It's a must see movie. Must see, uh, okay. Or must be. You know. Right. So anyway, we have uh, virtually nothing planned for today. It's nuggets. Yeah, nuggets. We're just gonna shoot the breeze here and see what what happens. You got some info on National Cow a day, a day of the Cowboy? National Day of the Cowboy. Mm-hmm. You betcha I do. Every it happens at, nowadays every year on the fourth Saturday in July. A celebration of the cowboy and what it stands for in America and heritage. And down at the White uh, White Stallion Ranch, that's the wrong one. Down at the Empire Ranch, uh, and this is Saturday the 24th, this coming Saturday, uh, we're going to be having a, a National Day of the Cowboy celebration there. We're going to have a chuck wagon down there from 8 to 12. They'll be serving uh, cowboy breakfast. Uh, I think it's $10. We're also going to have uh, seven uh, demonstrators down there, ten vendors, a 50-50 raffle, and it's just going to be fun as a way to get out, to, you know, to celebrate America, celebrate the cowboy, and it's easy to find. You just head east on 10, get down to 83, take a right, go down there, go just past the Border Patrol check station. It's on the left. Go back three miles to the ranch house, paved all the way. And you can find us by all the smiling cowboys you yeah. see there. And just to throw in a little extra piece of, of foolish uh, trivia, tomorrow is Joe Will's birthday, if he was still alive. So, cuz. How many? How many? How many what? How many years would he be? I have no idea. He'd be a lot, a whole bunch, a, par- a parcel. All right. All right, I'm going to rescind you at the same Oh, Harry's on the phone with an important call here. What is this? What's going on there, Harry? What was that important call? Oh, it seems to be a uh, an issue here with uh, one of uh, with our feed in getting Mr. Roberts oh, or bill collector to be yeah, right. <laughs> well, you want me to keep yakking while you're doing yeah, it? Yeah, keep yakking. Well, in that case, I'm going to do a cowboy poem. Now, this poem happens to be about Harold uh, Bosley. Uh, a good friend of mine and his wife Fran, a lovely lady still with us. Harris, but Harold passed away a few years ago. And Peggy Malone, that very talented Western songbird, she wrote a nice poem about Harold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shot of it here. Gentle, kind, and giving. These words, they say a lot about our good friend Harold. He'll never be forgotten. Touching lives of many with sweet and caring ways. And when your trails would cross, he'd brighten up your days. Soulful eyes that twinkled, his mustache trimmed just right. This western gentleman was sure a handsome sight. Remember that November? As a ranch hand, he worked hard. He loved western music and Fran his lifelong part. 
When all is said and done, fond memories will remain. We are sure to miss you. Our loss is heaven's gain. It is so nice. I wish I could appreciate cowboy poetry much. Poetry in general. I wish I could appreciate it more. Well, you know, you just have, you just have to d- develop right. your... There inner, he is. There's Mr. Inner, Roberts. Your inner sensitiveness. There's Todd. Oh, Todd. Todd? Hello. Oh, he's not Nola. There. Hey, hola. There he is. Como esta? Todd. I'm here. I'm okay. here. You're Where's there. Here? She's going to bring El Alibi. All right. Rosie right now. All right. So, uh, okay, we're good. We're all good. Okay. <laughs> you were out buying so, boots? Yeah. What, what were you doing? Yes. Nola got herself a pair of boots. Yay. Hey, wait a minute. Well, that's I not, got her a pair of boots. That sounds like uh, a rom-com. <laughs> Nola got her boots. <laughs> yeah. Might be a song uh, in there somewhere. They're a high. They're, they're higher than normal. Uh, are they higher know, boots uh, or are they just higher than normal? <laughs> they're, they're pretty high, Bunker. They're not your normal height. For a boot, they're higher than normal. 18-inch top? Maybe not that high, maybe. They're gray-colored, and they have, like, little figurines of a... or a shadow, an outline of a bird, Mm. or a flower, or something. Sounds like something Dale Dale Evans would wear. And... but they're a grayish stone color. Mm. Are they stovepipe? And then, uh, no, they have scalloped tops, and um, they... (laughs) They have a, a, a bluebird and a kind of a kind of a caramel colored bird or flower in there, and it Buzzard. was just cut out relief. And uh, uh, she said, uh, "Oh my goodness, uh, what are these for?" I said, "Well, um, you know, there's a part of me that you're not going to understand, but I'll just show it to you." <laughs> you know, you, you should see Harry in my face and you know, listening to this. You know, you know, we were talking about you earlier. Oh. <laughs> well, let's move on to yeah, something. Okay, let's talk about yeah. some serious. Uh, B- Bunker brought this book in today that is really, really cool. It's uh, about si- it's called Silent Film Performers, an annotated bibliography of published, unpublished, and archival source for more than 350 actors and actresses. Uh, the author is Roy Liebman, and um, yeah, I'm starting to get into silent movies much more than I ever had. And yeah, uh, you don't have to listen. You, well, yeah, that's true. You don't have to listen. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, you know, but. Um, they're great when you got music with them. Though. One, yeah. If, if the music, if the music will match up, yeah, yeah. that exactly. But you you tune to the, turn to this thing, and it's a like I said, a bibliography of uh, all these actors and actresses. And the one that I happen to open up to is uh, George O'Brien. One of my favorites. Uh, from uh, lived from 1900 to 1985. Uh, he was dubbed the torso or the chest uh, because of his athletic build. Um, he proved himself uh, a rather sensitive actor in such silent films as The Iron Horse, one of the great train movies of all time, Three Bad Men, and most notably Sunrise in 1927. He did not do very many soundies. Um, you can find some soundies. Uh, he did uh, the Cowboy Trilogy. Y- yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find uh, some of those. Um, and I think I did a B to C that had George O'Brien uh, in it. You know, one of the interesting things about him is he was very, very close friends with uh, John Ford. Yeah. And a retired rear admiral from the U.S. Navy. No kidding. My Aunt Helka was very close friends with his wife, and she used to go out every summer and spend a week or two with him. Interesting. Yeah. Here's another... So what's the name of the book again, Harry? Is it From Silence to Sound? No, it's called Silent Film Performers. Ah, uh, there it is. Okay, yes. And, wow. And uh, uh, something else that I I discovered, I've always been a fan of the Charlie Chan movies. And my, uh, Sidney Toller played Charlie Chan. Am I your number one sidekick? Yes, you are my number one sidekick. Okay. Um, Warner, uh, uh, that makes Todd his number two. Yeah. Um, Perfect. <laughs> Sidney Toller. That's where I was. Uh, Warner Owen. Sidney Toller played... <laughs> 
Charlie Chan. This is what I have to deal with, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's start again. Bunker brought this book in called Silent Performance. I, t- <laughs> I turned to the to the uh, uh, O's here, and we've got uh, Warner Oland. Now, Warner Oland was known for being, he was the first Charlie Chan. And then, then after he died, Sidney Toler took over. Which is interesting to to me because Sidney Toll I've seen Sidney Toller in some westerns, mm-hmm. and it's just like a Charlie Chan character to me. But <laughs> unbeknownst to me, uh, uh, that Warner Oland uh, was a Swedish actor, stage actor. I did not realize that. Oland. My name is Oland. And it says only in Hollywood could a Swedish stage actor find a niche as a Chinese detective. But Warner Oland did just that. <laughs> this this is a very incredible book. Uh, well, you know, it's like yeah, I can remember one of his early westerns. Some of the dialogue here. Oh, number one cowboy, <laughs> you have you have the secret map to the lost treasure. Mm-hmm. Bunker, can you hear it? That, that's the, those are all the typewriters that are we're, we're going to get from hate mail. Uh, <laughs> hey, I love hate yeah. mail. I want to be hated. Yeah. And we by would, the way, I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to say it now. I'll say it again, I'm sure, in, in my lifetime. I love Charlie Chan movies. Yes, I think I have great. Charlie Chan movies. I think they're great. And I wish they would come back with Charlie Chan. I know. And Mr. Uh, Moto. I love you, Mr. Moto. You know, and and make and if if make you feel better, then make it with uh, 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 make Charlie Chan. Uh, starring Cho Yun Fat, yeah, uh, the great action star. He's going to yeah. have to gain a hundred pounds, but so be it. <laughs> yeah, right. So he might have. The there's there's got to be uh, a, a roly poly uh, Chinese actor who can play Charlie Chan. Oh, what's I loved name? how smart he was. I loved how he was as good a detective as anybody else, and I loved how he allowed his son, uh, favorite one ton son. To you know, go off and you know, dress hip and be into rock and roll or whatever the big band sounds were, and he'd always have a comment for him like, "You need to read more," you know. <laughs> hey, you hey know, Pop, look at this. Yeah, right. Well, it was hey, not, not only that, but his his chauffeur. Yeah, coolest chauffeur anybody could ever have. Well, um, Key Luke was uh, number one son for many many years, and then the, there was another actor, and I can't remember his name. But I saw the two of them together in a uh, serial, a, Re- a Republic serial, of course, and uh, uh, it was interesting to see that, so, see how that worked Well, you out. know, and then, then Key Luke ended up, you know, the old master in Kung Fu, yes. David Carradine. Yes. yes. So, just one. coincidentally today, uh, yes. after they showed um, uh, whatever the Western was that went on at 8 o'clock when I had my coffee on the Western Channel, which I think was uh, it, it, it was uh, it, it wasn't Bandolero, which it's been so many Saturdays in a row. <laughs> I I thought that you know I thought that uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Dean Martin had bought the station. Uh, so, but this morning it was Flaming Bullets Yay. with Tex Ritter. Dave O'Brien and Guy Wilkerson. Nice. Now they're in the finale of the Tex Ranger series. Tex, Dave, and Panhandle go after a gang that break outlaws out of jail, kill them, and then collect the reward. Dave is the bait, passing as his lookalike, the wanted outlaw Steve Carson. Of course. So uh, (laughs) we watched it. We I enjoyed it. I watched it, and uh, you know it's amazing. I don't know why they call them B actors and B westerns. Because they have, but I used to think it was because they were B grade, but I now know what it is. There's so much bowling in these movies, that's why they're called B Westerns. The gun belts, the halters, the, the bridles, the saddles, the boots, the belts, everything uh, uh, are, are bowling. So. It's, uh, it's and, then, and then there was the great radio show, Bobby Benson and the B Bar B Riders. <laughs> yep. Say that quickly. Yes. I uh, <laughs> uh, saw Guy Wilkerson in an episode of uh, Cisco Kid, where he oh. plays an old pos- prospector. Speaking of me, uh, I was watching uh, Casey Jones, one of the episodes against yep. Alan Hale, and Gene Freeze called because he you know, remember right. he was down when we did the, the right. taping for. Right. Or Tom Hurt the Hatter. Yeah. That's it, Tom Hurt the Hatter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he came down and was looking at some of my uh, pictures from my, when I was working. And I sent him a card, and he called me back and said, thanks for the card and all that. 
but we were talking i said you know and so i had turned the sound off but it was so neat because danny sands and ken maynard they they must have they were either doubling somebody or something or else they were just working extra that day Mm -hmm. but they show up on the thing and Mm -hmm. willard waterman the great gildersleeve he's the bad guy the head of the gang (laughs) with with his three henchmen and uh, <laughs> so anyhow, you know, it was like great because you know ne- you never know where these guys are going to pop up because a lot of them, you know, that's what they did. They yep. work extra one day, stunts another day, acting another day. Well, so many of, cars the next. Yeah, day. so many of them. You look at the the cast list of these bees, and there it shows 120 on there, but. Ten are only credited, yeah. and uh, right. you, you go through it and you see all the usual suspects: D- Dale Van Sickle, uh, Tom Keene, uh, Charlie guys, King. They never, they never listed yeah. them back. Then. Well, and Barcroft is in there sometimes, and, and no credit. You know, it's just like they must have been hanging around the studio. Hey, you want to be in it? Well, you know what? Yeah. You know what happened too is one of the, especially at Republic. Republic, they had everything timed down. If see Roy Barcroft's on the set, on working on the show that morning, they know what time he's supposed to be to work, and they know what time he's supposed to finish because mm-hmm. that's that's how they that's how scheduled they mm-hmm. were. And sometimes they'd go, you know, they just send them over to another show in the afternoon. They might even work a third one if they were doing some night stuff. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of Ken Maynard, in Flaming Bullets today was Ken Maynard's stunt double. His brother Kermit Maynard. <laughs> oh yeah, isn't that funny? Who also was a stunt double, as it turns out, for um, uh, you know uh, Victor Goglin, George O'Brien, who's in this movie, Edmund Lowe, and Warner Baxter. Hmm. So he started out as his brother's stunt double, and then became a stunt double for others, and then also got you know got some acting in a bit but was still mostly known for his being a stock talk and you know the and fun- who names their child Kermit and Ken yeah really well uh, if you're you know. a frog Kermit's a great name <laughs> well I've well, okay. seen Kermit in a couple of uh, Cisco Kid episodes as well well you, you know, know the funny thing yeah. is um, what everybody says is Kermit was the better horseman of the two really yeah well, and it's funny you say yeah, that, a uh, Bunker, yeah. because he was not just a stuntman, he was also an actor and a background player, but he is, his filmography credit for acting gave him 354 credits. Oh, yeah. Grief. He was, he was the king of, of the Northwest Westerns. Wow. Yeah, he did more, you know, Mounties and, and just, you know, Well, Jack of course, you, you can't forget the, the singing Mountie. Nelson Eddy. There you go. What? Uh, you're right. He was in a lot, and he was in everything you can imagine. My God, what a what a what a list of work he did. Yeah. And he worked with every movie with Jeanette McDonald. <laughs> well, and Jeanette McDonald, I'll tell you, um, she refused to live in Los Angeles. This is probably what eventually hastened her career or ended it she used to insist on being put into an apartment building up on uh, just west of La Brea uh, north of Hollywood Boulevard north of of Fountain north of Franklin and a beautiful old kind of uh, um, classic American uh, shall we say Hollywood Regency and she would stay there and make the movie as soon as the movie was gone, over she was out. She got on the train and went home, hmm. wherever that was. Mm-hmm. And eventually, if you notice, you know, her pictures, yes, that, that style of film, you know, the the guy singing high-pitched as, as high as the girl, mm-hmm. um, started to go out of fashion. But I'm sure that if she lived in Hancock Park or in Hollywood, I think her career would have gone a little bit farther. Oh, but, you know, she's, like, she's just like Sonia Henney. You know, she had a great career, and then... Uh, the ice melted. Yep. Hey, we got to do our first commercial break. It's Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. We are doing nuggets today, just whatever pops into the mind. And with our minds, that can be quite dangerous. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Andrews. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. The colonel was like a father to me, and if my life would bring him back, I'd be only too glad to stick my neck in the noose. But it won't. And in the meantime, the three men who dry-ghosted him are seated in this courtroom, and they haven't been tried. Take him away. But if there's any real justice, there'll be another trial before I swing. It'll be a quick trial of gun smoke and wooden overcoat for those three killers. This is the Voices of the West. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie where the we're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. And uh, today it's just a bunch of nuggets. And that's the perfect music for this show, this episode. You know, I, I, episode, I, yeah. I love it when Bob Steele gets all upset. <laughs> you know, there's a I'm glad you mentioned that. You, I didn't know this till the other day, but Bob Steele actually did a series of singing or he sang to the girl and it was before anybody else wow. even before Kermit I mean before Ken Maynard I have, I'll have to see if I can find those yeah I, I did not know that and you know who his father is yeah uh, Robert Rob- N. Bar- Bradbury Robert Bradbury you know who his brother was mm, no the Bill Bradbury case. the voice of singing Sandy that's it uh, yeah singing but, Sandy was uh, John White but what but but what do we know his greatest role? Who's greatest? What role? he's what Bob Steele? Oh, that's easy. Mice and Men. He was nope. awesome in that. He was awesome in that, and he was awesome as Bob Steele, the the, the movie star cowboy. He's, he's great. Still he's, not still not his greatest role. He's great in F Troop. <laughs> you know what? Great in F Troop. You know, along with along, greatest, with along with John Mitchum. Yes, John Mitchum. Yes. You know, but still not his greatest role. All right. But you know, one of the great, one of the neat things, you know, we used to get together at Victor's uh, on some Saturdays and and watch the old bees for about twelve hours. <laughs> well, uh, one of one of the guys brought in it was just a, a, an introductory clip of Bob Steele being introduced by his dad, mm-hmm. and it's like battling Bobby Steele, <laughs> and he's like punching the air, you know, and like that's eh, cool. What was his best role or, or top role, Todd? He just at least in my humble opinion, uh, opinion, it is uh, Canino, the hitman in *The Big Sleep* with Humphrey Bogart, oh, written by yes. Raymond Chandler. Yes. Script written by uh, William Faulkner and another gentleman that I forget his name. Mm-hmm. Directed by Howard Hawks. Never heard and of any he of ha- <laughs> And he has the great line. When he says to Elijah Cook Jr., 
he's got all he gets all this information out of him and he's a he's a he's a he's a uh, he's a rod is what Humphrey Bogart calls right, him, which right. is slang for being a henchman, uh, a gunman. And he says, uh, and he works for a guy, a bad guy who's a gambler and owns a big gambling house named Eddie Mars. And he says, uh, uh, he says, uh, listen, you look a little nervous. And uh, Elijah Cook Jr. is sitting there and he's shaking because he's scared to death because <laughs> he knows who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And he says, you look like you need a drink. Come on, little fella. Here, and he gets him a he gets him a little drink, a little water in a cup, and he puts a little something in it, and he goes, "Go ahead and drink it." And he's he's staring at it like it's a cobra snake, a little <laughs> glass of water. And Elijah Cook Jr. and he says, uh, uh, "What do you think it is? Poison? Mm-hmm. Come on, little fella. Mm-hmm. You need to relax." <laughs> and he says, "Well, uh, uh, he goes." What do you want me to do? Count to ten like they do in the movies? (laughs) And finally he takes a sip of it and he starts to immediately choke and he goes, and he starts laughing and Bob Steele goes, what's so funny? And he says it all in this kind of sick, like happy Mm -hmm. joker mood. Mm -hmm. And he says, big joke. And he falls over and dies. And then, (laughs) of course, Canino gets his in the end when Bogart gets him. Uh, and I tell you, I never, very rarely do I relish as much when a bad guy gets it <laughs> as when Canino gets it in The Big Sleep. I know it's not a cowboy film, but, but it, a cowboy it sure guy. is good. It well, sure is good. We ought to do uh, the best best death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey, you know, speaking of Elisha Cook, he, was, he got killed today in Thunder on the Plains. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing, you know, Scott's got him there, and, and he's like sweating and shaking. And, and Lex Barker rides up and yep. shoots him, and you know, and he, and Cook is dead again. But you know, they did. I remember this back in the '60s. They did a an hour special special about uh, dying in the movies. Mm-hmm. And one of the best death scenes, and it was one of the noir things. Cook gets shot. He's wearing this big top coat, right? And he, he takes like two steps back into the wall, and it just—he it looks like he's shrinking inside. Mm. He's not falling down. It just looks like he's shrinking yeah. inside that top coat. It was just—that's method acting, isn't it? Well, I don't. Well, know. <laughs> some might say it's method acting. He—he he would probably say that he had studied before method, and that he was a, a student of Stanislavski, who was the original greatest acting teacher who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And, I think influenced more great actors than anybody else ever. I got even a to great story there for you. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing that is a western that Elijah Cook was in that nobody knows. He was in a modern day western called Electric Glide and Blue. Oh yeah, Robert with Bobby, Blake Bobby and Blake. Robert Mitchum. And what boy, is that it was good. Robert Blake. Bobby Blake. Robert Blake and 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 uh, no, not Robert Mitchum. Uh, um, Mitch. Uh, the guy uh, Mitch uh, in in Monty Walsh, uh, Mitch, um, right? You're not talking. You're not talking about uh, Mitch Ryan, are you? Mitch Ryan, oh. Mitch Ryan. You sure? Robert because he, he positive. Was, he hadn't started working yet by that time. Sure, he had. He had made Monty Walsh in '69. Yeah, but so Glide and Blue this was '70. Oh, Electric okay. Glide and Blue was probably '73. Okay, I'm corrected. '73, uh, and. Uh, uh, boy, that it's a it's a murder mystery, and if you think you can figure out murder mysteries, go watch Electric Glide and Blue. It's a good movie. And you tell me if you figure it out. It's a good movie. I agree. With you got a story you wanted to share there, Bunker? Well, I've got I've got we I did like uh, Harry did. I just opened up silent film performers, and see see who would jump out at me, and it jumped out as one of the biggest of them all, Tom Mix. Mm. And he was born in Mix Run, Pennsylvania, which was named after the family in 1880. Died in 1940, the year I was born. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, Tom Mix was probably the most popular cowboy star ever, combining glitz and action with just the right proportions. He was with Selig as early as 1910, but made his greatest success as a fox star in the 1920s. His films include The Heart of Texas Riot, the Riders of the Purple Sage, which they shot here in Arizona. Three Jumps Ahead, The Yankee Senior. 
He also appeared in non-Westerns such as Dick Turbin, which was a very popular character back in those days. His voice was not too well suited to talkies, but he made several, concluding his career in 1935 with the serial The Miracle Rider. And the reason his voice wasn't suited to the talkies is because uh, his throat had been damaged. Uh, some say in the Spanish-American War, some say drinking, but uh, whatever they say, you know, he, he could only talk for a little while and the stroke would close up. He, he served in uh, the Philippines, right? That's what he said. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Okay. Who knows? And you know what's neat? You know, I was looking at the book here, and there's two, no, yeah, two and a half pages of archival sources. That's about sources, books, movies, films, Tom Mick's comic books. I remember, I remember listening to Tom Mix on the radio, and it wasn't Tom Mix. Hmm. He never did one radio program. Wow. All right, I think we'll uh, take our next break. Why don't we do that? Do that, and uh, then we can come back with a bunch more nuggets here on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts with you. We'll be right back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. You out there, come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. Hi, Kate. Take it easy, it's me. That'll teach you to talk back to a lady. And the next time you come pestering around here, remember, Ann Oakley and me went to the same finishing school. This is the Voices of the West. mess with that lady. (laughs) Welcome back to Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. It sounded like she finished him. Well, it was Guy Wilkerson she was shooting at. Oh, no wonder. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, today's topic is absolutely nothing. It's a a nugget day. Nuggets. Nuggets. Guy Wilkerson, Mm -hmm. the king of the short subjects. He did more than anybody. Did he really? Yeah. All different types of, you know, because that was the era, whole era when, you know, you go to the movies, you get two features, news, serial, right. uh, cartoons, uh, coming attractions, and a short subject. Interesting. Hmm. They give you your money's worth back there. Well, I tell you. That's yeah. pre-inflation. <laughs> yeah. Try that now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got another poem for us. All right. It's called Down Home, and it's an excerpt from a poem by Donald G. Hinkle. We're going down home, Mom used to say. We'll see how Grandpa's doing today. Down home, you know, was that little farm that Grandpa kept with all its charm. On the farm, Grandpa had pigs and chickens and a horse. 
got bees in the orchard, and a cow, of course. In the barn were two buggies, in the front was a straw stack. On the side was a chicken house with melons growing in back. A creek ran through where he used to play, and just east of the creek, Grandpa made his hay. I remember the wooden pump and the big grapevine near the large bean tree Mom planted when nine. I remember the fried chicken and that we never broke bread until Grandpa's prayer of thanks was said. Oh, the memories are great from that little old farm that Grandpa kept with all its charm. There we go. That's a neat one. Todd, you got anything? beauty. Yeah, I, I, you know, Harry, I know that we talked about this, but I've just become more and more, uh, and Ben Bunker, we've talked about this, but I've become more and more infatuated with Joe Mora uh, mm. and oh, reading up oh. on him and reading his book and mm-hmm. checking out the website. And I had such a lovely conversation with uh, the author of that book, Peter Hiller, and we're going to have him on the show. He would... He was literally told me he how honored he'd be to be on our show. Well, I was honored like, to have him. Really? Have you ever listened to the show? <laughs> um, but he just couldn't get over the fact that we wanted him to be on the show. Yeah. I it, really you you want me on your show? I was like, okay, uh, I don't think you understand, but that's okay. Um, and obvious, I just, it's obvious he's never listened to the show. <laughs> well, you know, and you know. Uh, when Todd told me that he was gonna that he wanted to be on the show, I said we're not worthy. And then we broke into the uh, uh, <laughs> the skit from uh, uh, oh god, I can't remember uh, the name of the yeah. movie now. But Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not worthy. <laughs> so and then I come to find out that um, there is Joe Mora art in public places. Mm-hmm. So, in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, formerly the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company building in San Francisco at 600 Stockton, is a base relief panel uh, in Piedmont, 1920 white glazed terracotta created with artist uh, Haig Pettigan. At the San Jose Athletic Club, formerly the Scottish Rite Temple of San Jose, heroic figures, elaborate architectural adornments, Egyptian theme, 1924 stone, one of Mora's more impressive projects, and the El Paseo sculpture in Carmel, which is at El Paseo Courtyard 7th and Dolores, and then the Rainbow Bridge Monument, which I'm just amazed that he went that far out, and it commemorates, it's a commemorative plaque, 1927 bronze, to commemorate the Paiute and the uh, uh, Indians and the guide Nas J. Begay. Hmm. So it's just, and then there's a, a, a longer a list of other places where his stuff is. Didn't he do a mural down in uh, Fort Worth at the stockyards? Well, it's funny you say that, Bunker, because we have one, uh, we have another one in uh, Campton Place in, Stock, in Stockton Street in San Francisco, the Lincoln Mercury Building in San Francisco. The uh, Native Sons and Gold West Building in San Francisco, the State Chamber of Commerce Building in San Francisco, Ritz Carlton, as I said, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, the Young Museum in in uh, San Francisco, uh, the Bohemian Club in San Francisco, and the California Historical Society, and the list just goes on and on from there: Berkeley, Oakland, San Rafael, Colma, Col- Col- Coloma. Yosemite, Visalia, Palo Alto, Saratoga, San Jose, Santa Clara, Fremont, <laughs> My God. I mean, did the man ever sleep? Yeah. Monterey. You uh, know, what's Pacific don't... Grove, Salinas, King City, Los Angeles. Uh, all over L.A. Uh, we got a lot of vignettes, Harry. Get ready. Yipper. The well, Pacific you know, I... Mutual Building on 6th and Grand <clears throat> in downtown L.A. High. Three figures high above the 6th Street entrance, 1917 Terracotta. That building is where I studied and studied and studied to take my insurance uh, uh, license test. The LA Athletic Club, which I know very well, the uh, public library in La Jolla, all over Oregon, Utah, Arizona, Ganado, Oklahoma, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, Massachusetts, Hold on, Washington, D.C., 
Uh, there you go. So you miss it's just amazing, <laughs> his body of work. Amazing. Yeah. You know what's neat? I don't know. I've, somewhere in my stuff, I've got a couple of the posters that he did. They, was, they were all over the country back in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that I have is the horses, all the different horse breeds, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know arm arm wow. width in yeah what fingertip to fingertip wide yeah and about about, about a be a four by four by three wow. thing. Uh, he did a saddle thing. He did a, a one yeah. on different types of cowboy. He did all kinds. And these were just you could buy them in Western Horsemen and all the different uh, hmm. Western publications back in the late fifties. Uh, well, and here's a quote from him, uh, uh, because he did uh, a work uh, uh, piece at the Will Rogers Memorial Museum in Claremont, Oklahoma. Uh, he did 13 dioramas uh, in 1940 mixed media, and those dioramas highlight Will Rogers' life. And he said, take this diorama of Will Rogers as a young cow hand, keeping his herd quiet on the warm moonlight night, humming a song to them. Many a time I have done that myself, Joe Morrow. Gary's got one for you here. How about art? Which, by the way, in Claremore, Oklahoma, <laughs> Harry and Bunker, is the greatest, the greatest firearms and weapons museum I've ever been to in my life. Okay. Ever. Road trip. Does that camp go? <laughs> Road trip. I got a performer here for you, Todd. Art. Okay. Art Accord. Art Accord. Yeah. No. Stillwater, Oklahoma, 1890 to 1931, one of the most popular of the silent Western stars. Art Accord made 90 films beginning in 1911 for studios such as Bison, Mutual, and Universal. Even earlier, about 1909, he was a stuntman. Among his films, some of which were made under the name of Buck Parvin, were several serials and the Blue Streak series. His greatest success came for Universal in the 1920s, but his career effectively ended with the coming of sound. And he was big. That which brings to me. He, he was. He was. Which bring, beg, to mix. Yeah, which there. begs the question here. Uh, Bunker and I were talking about before we went to air. Um, the advent of sound knocked out a lot of performers uh, from the silence, and, and mainly because their voice did not match what the audience was looking at. Yes. Some of the yes. performers may have been. Uh, I guess we would call it microphone shy. I don't know, but they had head, I, some of them had heavy accents. Yeah. I, so what 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 do you think about that, Todd? What's your perspective on, on that? Where performers who were big in the silence just did not do well in the talkies. Well, I I, I don't think you can talk about the transition from the talkies to the from the silence to the talkies without remembering two things. The first thing is is that. We all have to take into account what uh, Jack Warner said, the head of Warner Brothers Pictures, when he heard that MGM was going to make a talkie mm. called The Jazz Singer, mm-hmm. where not only was Al Jolson going to talk, he was going to sing. Right. And Jack Warner said, and I'm going to clean it up for our show, because I know we have <laughs> lots no, of no, little buckaroos out there. Like it is. No, 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 we got to clean And it up. he said, talk? Actors talk? Who the hell wants to hear an actor talk? I can hear it for free. I'm not paying any money for it. I don't think anybody else is. So let's put that into perspective. The second thing I think is so important to remember is this brought about the end of the the biggest, other than Weirdo Valentino, who, by the way, would not have survived right. the talkies. Let's right. be honest. Yep, Brooklyn Archie. Um, uh, but the the biggest star, uh, even from the time of Valentino, who dies and uh, gets, uh, you know, is his top of the world in 24, 25, even in the 26, and dies in 26. John Gilbert was the biggest star That's in the, the guy world. I was Harry no about. one could even come close to him. First of all, he was tall. Valentino was short. Second of all, he spoke in, in with no accent. He had an English, uh, you know, he spoke in English perfectly well. He was great looking. He had a mustache. He could ride a horse. He That's could fence. He, he was athletic. He could do all those things. But when you heard him talk, it kind of came out like this. Hi, Mabel. How are you? Mm. So, you know, it was, and by the way, let's also remember that it would have also brought the end. Uh, I think it's very easy to say it would have basically prohibited Abraham Lincoln from becoming president because 
Lincoln had a high voice. Mm-hmm. He had a high, uh, nasally, at the back of the throat voice, which was not overly strong, didn't have a lot of projection. People complained they couldn't hear him at the Gettysburg Address. Um, and, you know, thank God he wrote it down so we, we have it, you know, in, in, in exactly what he said. But that this was the case for a lot. Teddy Roosevelt was another. He spoke too fast, but was too high. So in a world of today where everything is based on, you know, judged by a book by its cover and what it sounds like, not what the substance is, this is what happened at the turn of the, you know, at the turn of when Hollywood had its, shall we say, second revolution, the first one being when they left the back east and came to California. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I want to throw something in there because this is, this is part of the, uh, I guess you'd call it the urban legend of Hollywood, but uh, it's the story has been told over and over that uh, Gilbert, because of, because of his popularity, had a tremendous amount of power. And yes. uh, a couple of the studio heads were not happy with that. And on his first picture, which I think was with Garbo, they had the sound man tweak his stuff so that he came out that way and that his voice was not really that bad. Mm. And uh, as evidence, I, uh, I saw a little clip on a thing years ago. They, sh- they showed a couple of scenes from a couple of pictures that he did after that as his career was waning, and his voice wasn't that bad in them. Hmm. Yeah, he let yes, he, he wasn't as bad as he sounded, but then again, he wasn't Clark Gable or Gary Cooper. You know, he, he didn't have that voice. Neither were they so, in those days. Well, but you know what I mean. Yeah, in, oh, in, yeah. in, 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 the, in that respect that, you know, he those guys could survive on their voice, you know. And let's not. To, and by the way, it's let's also remember that Hollywood's not fair. No, the camera loves no. who it loves and yep. doesn't love who it doesn't love. That's and right. I'll say it also to the recording, uh, the the recording microphone. Exactly, exactly. Because uh, let's let's remember that Leslie Howard, uh, you know, he didn't have uh, he he didn't have the voice of Fess Barker, but he was the biggest sex symbol in Hollywood at for a very short moment. Uh, women were literally throwing themselves out of windows when he died from, during the war. But you know, and his his voice was like a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah. Well, you know, here's a great thing. It's a good, it's a perfect example in a way of great voices and uh, William Conrad, mm-hmm. the voice of Matt Dillon, a great the greatest Western voice I think of ever on radio. And of course, he was Roly Poly, so he didn't look right. But uh, and you've got to give Arnest credit because he didn't have that Conrad voice, but he had a good voice, good enough. He had a good voice, and he used his his stature and his body. Uh, you know, it's easy to be a six seven guy and be intimidating to everybody you're on screen with, but the way he 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 carried himself and his demeanor and his facial expressions and his hands, he didn't come out like he was his previous most successful character which was The Thing in the movie, the science fiction film, The Thing. He could have very, very, very easily become The Thing uh, in, in, as Matt Dillon, but he, 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 he understood what Stanislavski taught so often, which is less is more. And that's unusual in today's Hollywood. They don't understand that. They don't even know what I'm talking about. I've got a Stanislavski. Uh, they think less is more as you put less chili less on the more. hot dog no at Carney's. No um, less, no more. Yeah, that's right. No less, no more. I have, uh, by the way, Punker, I have uh, I have salt shake, salt pepper shakers no, with uh, no less salt, more. No more. Uh, his, uh, his tombstone is on one, and there's another one on the other. Well, I've, um, got, I've got a story for you. This is, this is Victor French. Uh, uh, when he was very early in the business, he was actually back in New York trying to you know, try a shot at Broadway, and he was an instructor at Strasburg's Academy. Wow. And they used to, every day, they would have their staff meeting where they would make their plans for the day, and Strasburg would hold, hold court and send his minions out. <laughs> well, they're there holding the meeting one day, and Victor hasn't shown up. And so he comes in, and Strasburg goes, you're late. And Victor throws down 
the book, an actor prepares in front of him, slams it down in front of him, and he says, Lee, you're a fraud. You only teach two chapters out of the book and walked out. Oh, boy. Whoa. <laughs> All right, well, then. How about that? Let's, you know, many people, and I and listen, I can't comment on Victor French like you can based on your relationship and the time you spent with him. But I will tell you that uh, I still say, uh, you know, yeah, he did a lot of great work on uh, on uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie, and he was always playing the heavy. But I, I have to say that um, it's you can't talk about Victor French's acting without remembering him in uh, where he plays the bad guy with Elvis Presley. Yeah. Um, in uh, Charles is. Charles. I mean, it's still. I think uh, it doesn't get any better than that. He's the way he positions himself in his 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 acting against Elvis is perfect. He makes Elvis look like a fabulous actor. Yes, he did. And Elvis was not a bad actor, he but he really elevated his game there. And uh, I just think it's it's very well done. Yeah. All right, we got to take our final commercial break here. On Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts, it's a nugget day. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Hymas Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. With this deposit of tungsten I've discovered, our country will soon be independent of any outside source of supply. That's why I've got to contact the authorities. But you're in no condition to travel. 
Pancho and I will get work through for you, but it may mean your death. Well, we can't live forever. Besides, this is our country too. If it's good enough to live in, it's good enough to fight for. Right, Pancho? Yeah. You know, one thing my papa always told me when I was a little boy. Keep two things in your heart, Pancho. Your God and your country. And to which I say, amen. This is the Voices of the West. Now Dan was born at an early age in good old New York town. He learned to ride the wildest bronco of them all on the merry-go-round. Six-gun Dan was an old cowhand, the wild and rough galoot. We're back on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. It's a Nuggets kind of a day. Harry, I wanted to just reinforce something Bunker said of how true it is of the voice of William Conrad. Yes. Yes, he was one of the hitmen in The Killers with Burt Lancaster and uh, Edmund O'Brien. Another great film, which was a, 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 a... Direct inspired came out of the short stories of Nick Adams by Ernest Hemingway, but um, Burt Lancaster's did, breakthrough. Bert, oh, he's fabulous as the Swede. Um, but William Conrad, his voice was so great that when Sinatra decided to kind of come out of his hibernation after the Rat Pack broke up and he said I'm going to go back and I'm going to play the Sands in 66 uh, he gave up smoking and drinking for six weeks and <laughs> he uh, which was shocking no one can believe that yeah, I still really. can't believe right. it hey a couple um, of liquor stores went out of business <laughs> yeah Don't, are you kidding and the cigarette girls too um, and uh you know, he wanted everything just perfect. So he got uh, uh, Count Basie in his orchestra, mm-hmm. and he put Basie on one piano on the stage. He put his own personal pianist, uh, Bill Miller, on the other piano on the same stage. And then he hired, he didn't want Basie directing the orchestra, he wanted him playing piano. Mm. So he got a young Quincy Jones to be the orchestra leader. Oh, boy. Wow. And who does the voiceover introduction? I'll bet it was William Conrad. William Conrad. Conrad. Mm-hmm. And boy, nobody can sound like that. Mm. With, ladies and gentlemen, the Sands presents the man of the hour, Frank Sinatra. Well, amazing. He go, amazing. Out and get the, go out and go out and get it. It's not on DVD. Go out and get the CD. Put it on. And listen while you not only are serenaded by Sinatra, but he's the funniest you've ever heard him, ever. And uh, William Conrad was also the uh, voice of the narrator on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Yes. Yes, he was. I've got another yeah, so, guy from the silent era. All right, quickly. Monty Blue. Oh, yeah. Gerald Montgomery Blue, born in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1887 or 90, depending, and he died in 1963. Monty Blue's lengthy career lasted into the television era from his beginning as a stuntman in films like Birth of a Nation. He was a leading man in the 1920s and swept into character parts. Among the better known of his approximately 200 films, which is that's a small, there's many more, were Peacock Alley, Orphans of the Storm, and White Shadows in the South Sea. And he was 100% Native American. Wow. Very good. That's a good way to end the program, I think. Well, it's also important to remember that he is in Key Largo. Yeah, that's a hell of a Money Blue is the sheriff in Key Largo who comes looking for his deputy, and he's killed. And he shoots uh, the Osceola brothers because he's convinced they killed him. And it turns out that it was Edward G. Robinson and his thugs who killed uh, his deputy. And uh, one of the Osceola brothers is Jay Silverheels, Tonto from The Long Ranger. Excellent. Is On this that... the end of Rico? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, it is time to say thank you for this is listening. the end of Voices of the West. <laughs> thank you for listening to us today. Uh, it was a show about nothing. Next time we meet together, uh, we're going to be talking with stuntman's... Um, Sean Patrick Nash. Thank you. <laughs> that's next yes, time on in career. That's, yes, indeed. That's next time on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Seventy-eight.
79 and 80 O's, amigo. So long, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.